How about please sitting down and being quiet? If you don't want to listen, maybe somebody does. Good morning, fellow students. We have a lot of territory to cover, and I hope I can uh, can cover it. Uh, Brother Carlton, thanks for putting it back on the board. And also, let me say in the beginning, I didn't. I don't think Brother Carlton had any strange sounds this morning. They were very interesting, very soft and melodious and nice. And I think it's worthwhile noting here that I don't think. I think in the Texas Bible School this year, we've been very blessed that we haven't had any strange sounds. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess I get accused of this. And let me, let me give you a suggestion of something that I consider a strange sound. Happened uh, two or three years ago. It's not important where, not important who, but I will we'll describe it this way. Uh, a young brother, and not so young either, uh, was... It was a conflict between the Williamsburg Foundation, double O, the amended, unamended conflict, and, they, and, and the meetings that were being held around the country, as you know. Uh, there was a sister, and I use the word in quotations, who said to this young brother that she had never heard the expression, constitution of sin. He said to her, have you ever heard of the Constitution of Righteousness? And I don't remember exactly the answer, but anyway, the following comment was made, well, you've never read Elpis Israel. Well, fortunately, all of us this morning heard from our brother Kerry in our opening class the Constitution of Sin and the Constitution of Righteousness. And I would submit to you that when a person who has allegedly been in the truth for 40 years and says she's never heard of the constitution of sin I would say we have strange sounds okay and that's that's the kind of thought that runs through my mind it and we don't have to restrict this to prophecy we restrict it to to no part of the of the word it's in the prophetic field in doctrinal fields and in fields of walk they are amongst us Strange sounds, muddle thinking. Okay, through with that. Uh, we've added on the to our to the we've made a couple of changes which you should note because hopefully by now we're all aware of who of the Arabs are with the King of the North, who of the Arabs will be with the King of the South. We are now also to consider dates, years, numbers as we move into a consideration of 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 Daniel. Now, you're, you're all fortunate you're not teenagers because if you were teenagers at this moment you would get a test. Okay? So you, you, you don't get tests. But I want you to reflect on dates and some of them I probably will comment on, some I'll leave to your own thoughts. I'd like to have been able to put them on the board in the outline but I couldn't. But I want you to think of these dates as we we're going to talk about the, the beast and the images and the visions of Daniel. All right, now we're going to cover a period of time from 753 B.C. to 1991-92 plus. Brother Thomas says it very nicely. Advent and beyond. 
think about it. It's it's a it's a stunning thought just in itself. All right, we want to think in terms of the year 2000, and sometimes I put a C in front of these for you. Uh, Brother Carlson this morning says T minus one. I don't understand, and I don't understand it. But C, I understand. C means about. So about the year 2000 to 1950 BC, what event have we been talking about that happened? The Battle of the Kings, Catalaomer, King of and King of Nations versus the kings of the south, the five kings of the south plus Abraham and Lot. Okay, that's what we and that happened about 2,000 years BC. And I want you to think in that time how much of the world was here. Not much more than a circle the size of a quarter. Okay? Now, we jump forward. The year 753 B.C. That was the year of the founding of Rome. 604-606 B.C. The Jews are going into captivity. 607 B.C., remember we talked about it a moment yesterday, the Battle of Carchemish, the, the battle of the king of the north and the king of the south. In those days, the Babylonian Empire and the Egyptian Empire. The, if you prefer it, we'll talk about it in the GOAT section in a moment. 586 continued the final overthrow of the city of Jerusalem. Days of Zedekiah. 536, we come to Cyrus, the great Persian king who authorized the Jews to go back and rebuild the temple. Like the Grecian Empire, approximately 333. And remember, Alexander, the first great king, was a notable horn that we'll read about in Daniel in a moment. 168, the days of Antiochus Epiphanes. 32 B.C., the Roman Empire. And we have a, a broadening of, of our base of nations. Okay? Rome, remember, was founded in 753. And why that's important is that establishes to us that this whole entity has its Roman roots. And that's why we have these two parts of that fourth beast. Okay? 4 B.C., we have to note, probably the year of the birth of our Lord. And 29 A.D., the year of his death. 70 A.D., 69-70 A.D., the destruction of the city of Jerusalem again by the Romans. The days of Titus and Vespasian. Uh, again, very significant in foreshadowings. 312 to 325, Rome, which now, think in terms of, had been in existence for over a thousand years, 1,200 years maybe, was now to become papal. The birth of Christianity, the apostate form, the church was born. Out of paganism came the church. 533, we have the Emperor Justinian. 
And this is the first to, to associate himself with the Pope and pronounce the Pope to be the spiritual head of the family of men. And this was duplicated in 606 A.D. by Focus. And those two men, and we'll talk about them tomorrow in a consideration of the apocalyptic visions, but they become very important because they allied these with these. In other words, suddenly it became not only religious, but it became secular. So the, the amalgamation of these two uh, groups. 800 important times. Pepin and Charlemagne again went forth in the name of religion, killing those who were non-Trinitarians. Again, the church attacking the saints and anybody else who got in their way. And again, a, an important pronouncement. The pronouncement by the Pope that Charlemagne was the emperor. In other words, we now have, again, I want you to think in terms of Gorbachev and John Paul II in our day. All right, 1100, I think it was Pope Innocent who declared the papal authority supreme, approximately 1100. And in 1400, we have the rebirth or an early birth of the believer. For that, we would suggest you read Alan Ayer's protesters. Some interesting thoughts. And in 1453, the fall of Constantinople. And in 1572, the massacre of St. Bartholomew. And the end of a 1260-year period from 312, the birth of Constantine and the pagan becoming papal and with the death of the witnesses. In 1685, Edict of Nantes. Again, an important date that we'll cover tomorrow, hopefully. 1790 begins the time of the end, the French Revolution. Significant date and all spoken to us in either Daniel or the Apocalypse. 1820, the drying up of the river Euphrates and us passing under the sixth vial, which we'll talk about tomorrow also. 1866-70, the end of the 42 months of the persecution of the Holy City. The Vatican lost its power temporarily and an important date to us. 1898, the birth of Zionism. 1897 is probably more accurate. I already been called down on that. Uh, 1917, remember Allenby freed Jerusalem from the Turks. 1929 through 34, the Holocaust. I mean, 29 through 39, the Holocaust in Germany. 47 and 48, the birth of the State of Israel, which we talked about yesterday. 1967, the establishment of the city of Jerusalem as a total Jewish city. And the wars that followed in the 70s. And, 19, and here we stand in 1989 with a question mark. And 1991-92, we know something big is happening with these birds. Do you understand how what we mean by birds? Okay? So, a fitting description of them. All right, now, as, you, as we thought through those dates, 
you think that the pro Daniel is to give to us a panoramic view of the kingdom of men from 753 to their destruction by the Ancient of Days and his armies. It will be amplified in the visions of John, the apocalyptic visions. Hopefully, we have all got the ground because, again, you got to, if you don't understand what Moses wrote, what Isaiah wrote, what Jeremiah wrote, what Ezekiel wrote, you will not appreciate what Daniel wrote because it all builds on itself. Maybe the simple way to say it is you can't learn algebra till you have the multiplication tables. I don't think you can. But we, our educational system, it builds. So the Lord teaches, he builds. He, he t one prophet tells us another one, or one thing, the prophets add to it. All right, we to this point have reflected on the kings enumerated in the territory to Abraham. And as we look at the world kingdoms, we see the trees and birds of the latter day rising or standing before us. Political events tell us of their joining together to stand in that great final position or form of the great and terrible fourth beast. The Greek, the Latin, the Babylonian, the Russian image to fall before the rainbowed angel. Daniel depicts the development of this great and terrible fourth beast from, the, from its beginning about 750 B.C. to its final destruction as regards a political head which persecuted the natural seed of Abraham, that's Judah and Israel. John in the Apocalypse will show us the destruction of its ecclesiastical head which persecuted the spiritual seed of Abraham. That saints in their mortal state. Also remember the papal development is in both Daniel 11, 36-39 and in the book of the Apocalypse, chapters 12, 13, 14, 17, 18, and part of 19. We need to fix in our minds that the northern king, chapter 11, the little horn of the goat, from chapter 11 is depicted in its Alexandrian form with the Russian appendage, the king of fierce countenance from Daniel 8, the, the image on its feet from Daniel 2 are depictions of this same great and terrible fourth beast. During divisive from all other kings having ten horns with eyes and speaking great things. But let's take a look at, at, at some of the prophecies of Daniel. You know, uh, let's begin in, in chapter 2. This is Oh, the thing mostly to keep in our minds, or not mostly, we have to keep it all in our minds, but we should be very conscious that we are covering some 2,700 years. It just happened yesterday, and I'd like to refer to it maybe one point. 
The outline of history is three volumes by H.G. Wells. You can't imagine how many pages he records of history of this time. You know, well, here we have a foretold history to Daniel. And it of necessity t took many appendages and, and many changes in form. In fact, in here he gives three maps between the, the Macedonian kingdom, the kingdom of Alexander, and the kingdom as it was divided by, Alexander's, by Alexander for his four generals. And he says, in, in one of them, we have to have more than one map to explain what's happened. Well, when I read it, it kind of sent goose pimples up my back because I realized that's what we have to look at because one depiction is not sufficient to understand the fourth great and terrible beast. It had to be broadened, added horns, pluck up wings, do things that would make us see the changes within this empire. Now, I want you to just, for, for one moment, think of one, and, and you each have to drop this in your own mind and think about it. Suppose I ask you to give me a picture, pictorially, of a beast that would represent the United States of America. You know, I'd, I'd like to try this sometime with a group and just see how many different depictions you get. But when we think about it, if you were drawing the USA in 1607, it would be quite different from what it would be in 1778, was that a, whatever the time of Declaration of Independence. Uh, it would be again quite different at the time of the war between the states. It would be quite different as states were added. So we would ultimately come down, I suppose, with an eagle with 50, with 50 uh, stars or 50-something, 50, 50 feathers. But you under, what the point would be, and that's 300 years, that we would try to draw a picture of the United States. You couldn't do it with one beast. You couldn't do it in one image. It would have to be a changing image. Now, that's 300 years. We're suddenly looking at 2,700 years. Think about it. So it's a mammoth undertaking. And, but, you know, it's only the finger of God could record such a division of beasts and images that would depict this for you and I. And yet it's designed in such a manner that the brethren who read it in 300 the brethren that read it in 1400, those who read it in 1700 or 1800, and even you and I today should be able to read it and understand it. And I submit to you that if we don't read it and understand it, it's not the fault of the Lord. And I also I would submit to you that he gave it to us to read it and understand it. And before that, we call to mind the verse, one of the verses we started with last Sunday. The wise should understand. The wicked would not understand. Also, I'll tell you something else. The wicked will not inherit eternal life. Now, you can take that as you think it applies. And each of us individually have to do that. All right, chapter 2, 28. This, of course, is spoken... The, the vision of the of this of the image was given to Nebuchadnezzar, 
and he didn't understand it, so he Daniel was called to explain it to him. And Daniel then writes to us, to, he says to Nebuchadnezzar and writes to us, but there is a God in heaven that revealeth secrets, revealeth secrets, and maketh known to the king Nebuchadnezzar what shall be in the latter days. Thy dream and the visions of thy head upon thy bed are these. As for thee, O king, thy thoughts came into thy mind upon thy bed. What should come to pass hereafter? And he that revealed secrets made known to thee what shall come to pass. As for me, the secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for thy sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and that thou mightest know the thoughts of thy heart. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest, till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image, upon his feet that were of iron and clay and break them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, and the gold broken to pieces together. Notice that, together. And became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is a dream and we will tell thee the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And whatsoever the children of, and wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the fields, and the fowls of heaven, hath he given unto thy, into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things, and as iron breaketh all these, shall it break in pieces and bruise. And whereas thou sawest the feet and toes part of potter's clay and part of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, and thou shalt... Be in it as the strength of the iron, for as much as I saw it, the iron mixed with my clay. And as of the toes of the feet were part of iron and part of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly broken. And whereas I saw it, iron mixed with my clay, they shall mingle themselves with the seed of men, but they shall not cleave one to another, even as iron is not mixed with clay. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom, which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Let's turn to chapter 4. Verse 2. Maybe we should read one also. Nebuchadnezzar the king unto all peoples, nations, and languages 
that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the most that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. Verse 10. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the, and the sight thereof to the end of the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and all the fruit thereof. And it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the byres thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher, and an holy one came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said, Thus, hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under get away from under it, and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of the roots of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Verse twenty five. Twenty-four. I guess maybe we should read. This is interpretation, O King. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee, till thou knowest that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And 34. And at the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All right, in these two, in these two visions, that you notice in the image we have depicted to us very clearly uh, the four great world empires. And I don't think any of us from our childhood we are taught that they are representative of the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and the Roman. We also see that the Roman ultimately was, was to have, it was to be two legs, a Rome, an Eastern and a Western, which we understand to be Rome and Constantinople. We've come down to the days of ten toes, uh, the feet and ten toes. We note that the image was standing upon its feet and they would all be destroyed together, telling us that it is, a, it is standing again. And that we would suggest to you that we understand is the form in which it will be standing in a very few number of years to be struck by the stone power, which, as we have discussed, is the rainbowed angel. All right, the fact that it, the cutting, hewing down of the tree, again, another depiction. But remember, the point we need to keep in mind here is the stump was left. And the stump was to be bounded with 
iron and brass. Iron and brass were the Grecian, Roman empires. So this empire, or empires that would succeed as a stump, would always be related to that territory, Greco-Roman. And with that, we understand you know, what Daniel was learning. As we see here, and again, I think it's worthy of note that Nebuchadnezzar was, to, was given a time, which we've talked about, which was seven times. Now, as a, practical, as a historic event, you know, he lost his mind. He became a lunatic for about seven years. The Israelitish people or the Jewish people were to stay in Babylon for 70 years. And Jeremiah had already told them that, that they would be in Babylon and serve 70 years. Far more important than that would be this 2,520, which was the seven times, which would take us approximately from that time down to the 20th century. And you notice that at, uh, at a point, at the end of the days, you see Nebuchadnezzar praising the Lord. Again, a foreshadowing, just as we talked about the king of Nineveh, remember? The king of Nineveh submitted himself when Jonah came to him the second time. It's all part of the same presentation. But again, keep before your mind the, the expanse of time that we are covering. Okay? And, and, and hopefully we'll make a point to some anyway. Chapter 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Now, so we can keep in mind history, this is the Knesset. All right? Daniel, when he early on, was probably no more than 16 years old. Think about that. He's now, when he goes in the lion's den, he's in his 80s. So think of, it, think of the time over which you know, he didn't get these visions, you know, one, two, three, four. They covered an extensive period of time. All right, let's read 11 through 14. And here they're def defining Daniel. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, you know... Don't hold me to my total calculation of time, but this has probably been 60 to 70 years since he interpreted that vision, that image. So how do you think Daniel had made himself known in the, amongst these pagan kings? He obviously had he told them what he knew. He had no doubt talked to them of the kingdom of God. He, was a, he will become a, a counselor to them. We'll see a little later. But, you know, he was very influential in this, in this kingdom of Babylon. That's Belshazzar, the grandson of old Nebuchadnezzar. There is a man in thy kingdom, verse 11, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him. Whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father... The king, I say, thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing of hard sentences, and dissolving of doubts, 
were found in the name in the same Daniel, who the king's whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought in before the king. And the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel? which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry. And remember here, it says father. It's really grandfather. But that's, a, that's not unusual re- referencing. I have even heard of, I have even heard of thee, and the spirit, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Let's drop down to 17. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. In other words, the king wants to give him some gifts for what he's going to do, and Daniel says, Look, keep your gifts. You know, I don't want your gifts. Uh, With lessons in that, all this is plenty of lessons for you and I, brothers, and sisters and friends. O thou king, the most high God, gave Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would he show, and whom he would he kept alive, and whom he would set up, and whom he would he put down. And when his heart was lifted up, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts, and his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew that the Most High ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointed over it whomsoever he will. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. But thou hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them. And thou hast praised the gods of silver and stone, uh, and silver and gold, of brass, wood, iron, stone, which see not, nor hear not, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways thou hast not glorified. Verse 28. I'm sorry. 29. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, put a chain of gold upon his neck, and made a proclamation concerning that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. In that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Medan took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. You think of the courage that it took Daniel here to tell this pagan king that his Thou art weighed in the balances and found wanting. Thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. All right, now, Darius the Mede, if you want to believe or accept what Mr. Bollinger says, he says he was the father of Cyrus. If he was the father of Cyrus, 
he was the, wife, the husband of Queen Esther the great king Ahasuerus whether that's totally whether you want if you follow through the story of the, the Persian the Medo-Persian Empire it's a possibility however whether you do or not you should be keenly aware that Daniel had a great influence on the Babylonian, the Medo, and the Persian Empire as it passed down, emphasizing to us that God rules in the kingdoms of men. You notice in chapter 6, the first verse, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first. And that's, after that, you know, he got put in the lion's den. So he, uh, the Lord still tried him. And as we had last night, the story of Joseph, again, uh, Daniel too had his moments of solitude and, and thought. Chapter 7. To this point, I think what we hopefully have established is how God has revealed the total picture to Daniel, to Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar is a representation of the latter time. How also we note the continuation of the Grecian Roman influence. All right, and we and we move into into time. Remember again what we talked about yesterday. That is, from here forward, from seven, Daniel becomes concerned about the great and terrible fourth beast. As we look at 7, you'll see that Daniel understood with no hesitation the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the, the Grecian, and the goats of the Grecian because he was, he, it was actually said to him, you know, the first king is the king of Greece. We'll read it in a moment. But when he looked into the, beyond that, he didn't, he, it wasn't fully revealed to him, and this is what bothered him. And it was then revealed to him and to you and I. Okay, chapter 7, let's read 1 through 10. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. And he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. And the four great beasts came up from the sea diverse one from another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked. And it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man. And a man's heart was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second like to a bear. And it raised up itself on one side. And it had three ribs in the mouth of it between the teeth of it. And they said thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I beheld and lo another, like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and exceeding strong. And it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. 
I beheld till the thrones were set down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, to have his head like pure wool, his throne was like the burning flame, and his wheels as burning fire. A fire stream issued and came forth from before him. Thousand thousands ministered unto him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The judgment was set, and the books were opened. Go to 17, Daniel begins the interpretation. But as you read through that, I'll think in terms of those years that we talked about early, beginning back in 753 and extending to the advent and beyond, right? Because it took us to the time of the judgment seat, right? When it, it took us through the time of the, of the destruction of this fourth great and terrible beast. Right, Daniel has a, he, he still has a, he doesn't seem to bother too much about the first four because look what he says. These great beasts which are four are four kings which will arise out of the earth. That's verse 17. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So we have a, that's a capsule. Then we have the elaboration. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. which was diverse from all others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass. Remember the stump, iron and brass, which devoured, breaking pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet, and of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up before whom whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld in the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given to the saints of the Most High and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, The fourth kingdom, the fourth beast, shall be the fourth kingdom upon earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of, this, out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall rise after them. And he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws. And they shall be given unto his hand until a time's time and a dividing of time. think we read. All right, so again, as we, as we read through it, think in terms of, of the, the ten horns that are a part of the uh, uh, ten kings. We'll deal with that in Revelation 17, 12. You should look at it now if you take a moment while you got a moment. Uh, again, as we called to your attention yesterday, verse 28, Daniel still concerned. Chapter 8. We, we move to the third year of Belshazzar and a further vision. The purpose in the visions, think, just like the analogy of drawing a picture of the United States. Further refinement, you got to expand in order to understand. I saw 
verse 4. I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver it of his hands. But he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, a goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran unto him in the fear of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he, and he was moved with choler against him, and smote the ram and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him. And he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when it was strong, the great horn was broken. And for it came up four notable ones toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the pleasant land. It's interesting, reading through some of Mr. Wells' comments last night on the conquest of the Medo-Persian Empire by the Grecian Empire. It's amazing how this, these events so perfectly depict that time. Because particularly it says, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. It was, now, as far as interpretation, if you look at verse 20, we don't have any problem. Uh, well, let's read 8 first. Now, as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, and he touched me and set me upright. So we know now Daniel was asleep. That tells us that Daniel was resting asleep in a memorial grave when this would happen. The, the total of picture. Verse 20 says, The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. The rough goat is the king of Grecia. The great horn that is between his eyes is the first king. That's Alexander. Now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. Then in the latter time of thy kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. And he shall prosper, destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many he shall also stand up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken without hand now I want you to think of you, you, you should see in that a changing from pagan to papal alright the Roman pagan, pagan has become papal you notice it says that he will have he will be power but not by his own power. Well think about the Pope today. Yeah, I think it was Napoleon at once said how many uh, how much well it means cavalry, how much military power does the Pope have? Well he doesn't have any. But think about it here. Where is his power coming from? It's coming from Russia. And the alignment, brothers and sisters and respected friends of the truth, he is standing before our very eyes. Sorry, time ran out. 
brothers and sisters and fellow students. I suppose as a subtitle, and maybe this is really the title of our remarks this week, but at least for this class we would ask you to focus your thoughts on this thought. Behold, the end of the age approaches. And with it we we contemplate the verse that we started very early with this week from Luke 21:28. When these things begin to come to pass, look up, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. As we've looked through the behold the fig tree, behold the trees, we've seen the present day events as they have moved us ever closer toward the final colossus of the great king of the north, the king of fierce countenance, the final amalgamation or the alignment of the image of Daniel standing on his feet. And, to, and what we want to do today is, and, and this is of necessity a whirlwind, uh, I want you to look at some of the visions of John. Uh, we're probably not going to have time to look at all at the subsequent events, but they're in your outline, and we would urge you to look at those events in great detail because in them reveal, is revealed the moment from Christ's return and the judgment seat on into the uh, early days of the millennium and beyond. Thinking as you read through the scriptures, think of the 40 years and the parallelism that we've looked at this week. The parallelism that we easily trace to the days of Abraham in Genesis 14. And again, the, the battle of Ketelamia and the kings of the south. The four kings to the north, the five kings to the south. Someone asked yesterday who the five kings were. Obviously, that becomes difficult, but we would suggest probably Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, and Tarshish. Okay? You think about them. And, and we're going to, we have to build a little bit more uh, consideration in, in Daniel. And we, we want to, that's a, Daniel 11, and we, we probably need to begin in 10. We stopped yesterday looking at 8. Remember, the thought in 9 is it foreshadowed the, the first appearance of Christ with Gabriel talking. Uh, it also unquestionably has a latter-day application in the 70 Jubilee cycles. And for this, we would suggest you could look at Brother W.H. Uh, Carter's book, Se Times and Seasons, and be mindful at least that the last four Jubilee periods, that's 67, 68, 69, and 70, are our time, 60. Seven being the writing of Alpha's Israel, 69 being the Zionist movement or the beginning of the Zionist movement. I'm 
sorry, 68. 69 being the establishment of the nation of Israel, and the 70th being the early period of the millennium. We would suggest to you at this moment, maybe the time of the rainbow angel. Well, we hope to conclude today with the Psalms of the uh, rainbow angel from the book of Psalms, and hopefully we'll have time to at least look at that briefly. Let's look at uh, in, in Daniel 10. A couple of points we need to focus on. One, it says, In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar, and the thing was true, but the time appointed, and notice, was long. And he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision. And the reason for this is, think back into, into 8, because in chapter 8, he'd been given the details of the king of Grecia, the four horns that would come out of that kingdom, and the great horn that would stand up, which we identified yesterday as Alexander. In verse 23 of chapter 8, it says, In the latter time of that kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding shall stand up. And remember that in a very early image was Antiochus Epiphanes. But when we, in the latter time, whenever we see that, we always ultimately have to come down to the last time. And the last time when this king of fierce countenance will stand up, there's the Colossus that stands before us. It's Russia, it's allied with the Vatican, the West, Western Europe, with certain Arabic or Muslim group associated with them. So that's the, and again, the long period of time, remember we talked about yesterday, you, one image was insufficient to identify all the details that the Lord wants, yea, expects us to understand. The 9 through 12, and again, with this, same, this is only for repetition, I guess, but notice it, he says, he was asleep on his face, his face toward the ground, and a hand touched him, and said to him in 11, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Probably a indication of Daniel before the judgment seat. And I can assure you, uh, and our brother this morning led us to that thought, that of the fearfulness with which we approach or will approach the judgment seat. Verse 14 Michael speaking, and remember, generally it related to the latter day, the second appearance. He says, I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for the vision is for many days. In verse 21, and I will show thee that which is noted in the scripture of truth, and there is none that holdeth with me in these things but Michael your prince. In 11, 1, also I in the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. And now I will show thee the truth. Behold, I shall stand up yet three kings in Persia, and the fourth shall be far richer than they all. And by his strength, through his riches, he shall stir, stir all up against the realm of Grecia. And then verse 35 begins a, a, a verse 1 through verse 35 is a long, prolonged history 
of this latter-day Colossus as it developed. When we get to 35, we find it's so obvious, the year 312, 325, because it's a king that shall do according to his will and shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak marvelous things against the god of gods and shall prosper till the indignation be accomplished. For that which is determined shall be done. Verse 37, Neither shall he regard the god of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any god, for he shall magnify himself above all. But in his estate shall he honor the god lost my place, I'm sorry. But in his estate shall he honor the God of forces, and a God whom his fathers knew not, whom he sh shall he honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus shall he do in the most strongholds with a strange God, whom he shall acknowledge and increase with glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many, and shall divide the land for gain. Think about it. And think about the days of Constantine when the pagan Rome that we'd had all the seeds sown and seen back to the Babylonian period uh, and prior was now shifting to Christianity. It was, the paganism was becoming papalism. The papacy in, was being born. And we have a, again in a latter day manifestation, the papacy is a part of this entity. Okay, so we have, we see how it, it's developed, and Daniel was shown all that development in those verses in the 11th chapter of Daniel. And we come to verse 40, and it says, and it's the time of the end, and that's our time. Shall the king of the south push at him? And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. And he shall enter into the countries and shall pass over, shall overflow and pass over. Well, we immediately, we can identify the king of the south. We have seen the king of the south. Led by Tarshish, which if you want to relate it back to Ezekiel 38, in fact, maybe we should do that. Look at Ezekiel 38, because it's important, particularly for you young brothers, sisters, to understand that this is the same entity. You, you notice early on in this, it says that uh, they shall come out of the north quarters. And when we get to uh, verse 13, look at who speaks against him. Sheba and Dedan, the merchants of Tarsus, and all the young lions are off. That's the group that you know, says to the king of the north, you know, well, what are you doing? But in Daniel, we have a little different depiction because we have the king of the south pushing at him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships. The great problem we have is who are the hymns? Is it one person? Is it two people? Who are the hymns? Well, think about what we've read. We've been given a panoramic view of the development of the horn power. A little horn, which in Brother Thomas' statement becomes, at the latter time, the brother, the little horn of the goat and the king of the north are, are brothers. And at that junction in time, we have the king of the south 
pushing at him. That's the little horn power. And then it says, the king of the north shall come against him. The second him is the king of the south, the one that's pushed. But notice how, and he will come like a whirlwind. Well, what's so beautiful about it is in, in the mind of deity, and this is a very important issue, there is immediately a distinction. But here's the dividing between the, the papal entity and the king of the north entity. The one that's going to come is the king of the north. Apparently, support up till now, but remember the papacy has no divisions anyway. They're coming, but they come slightly later. Remember, when we look at Revelation 17, 12, which we've alluded to a lot during the week, it says the ten horns are ten kings which will give their power to the beast for one hour. Well, here Daniel lays the groundwork for that thought. The king of the south pushes at the, the horn power. The king of the north comes against the king of the south. All right? And, and we can pick up the story in Daniel 11, what he's going to do. He shall enter into the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown, but these shall escape out of his hand. Edom, Moab, and the chief of the children of Ammon. He shall stretch forth his hand also upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall have a power over the treasures of gold and of silver and over all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Ethiopians shall be at his steps. If you want to cross-relate, look back in Genesis, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 38, and Libya and Ethiopia are with the king of the north, the Gog of the land of Magog, which is Russia. Tidings out of the east and out of the north shall trouble him, remember he's in Egypt. And therefore he shall go forth with great fury to destroy and utterly to make away many. And he shall plant the tabernacles of his palace between the seas and in the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and none shall help him. All right, Daniel's presentation exactly conforms with the presentation of Ezekiel. If you, he's in Egypt, north and east is Jerusalem. So that's when he puts hooks in his jaws and takes him back upon the land of Israel. Okay, now, he plants his palace. And, 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 and there's no problem. There's always foreshadowing. But I want you to drift your mind back to Genesis 14. It's the same, con it's the same conflict that Abraham saw. He, this king of the north comes. If you want to say, well, he came in the personage of, of Muhammad and built the, uh, 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 the mosque there, that's a foreshadowing, I'm sure. But that's not the time that we're talking about here. And if it was a, remember we've talked a lot about how the Lord has, gives us events that foreshadow other events. But when we get to this one, brothers and sisters and fellow students, we are in the final enactment. And it takes us right into Daniel 12. At that time shall Michael stand up. And Michael is Christ at that juncture. And, and look at what he does. That's your, at the time he comes, there shall be a time of trouble such as never was. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that shall turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. 
I mean, it, it can be nothing else. Foreshadowing events we may have seen in, in detail, overviews, but never has that occurred. There's never been a judgment. Nobody's ever uh, stood, uh, sleep, those sleeping in the dust of the earth have never awakened. And if you know if somebody wants to believe whoever was a type of Michael, a type of Christ at that time, no problems. But don't lose sight of the, the total picture because you got bent out on one issue. Because this is a depiction of our time. The Nebuchadnezzar Colossus will stand upon its feet and Michael is going to be the one after judgment will destroy it as the rainbowed angel. I wish we had more time. Maybe I don't wish we had more time. Let's... Yeah, I'm going to skip a little bit of some things that I had from Brother Pierce in Milestones 83 and 84 because of time. But if you, if any of you happen to have Milestones to the Kingdom 83 and 84, chapters 1 and 2 in 83 and, and chapter 1 in 84 are worth con consideration. But we need, we need to move forward. The visions of Daniel are preliminary to the apocalypse in the history of the fourth great and terrible beast. And that's the point, remember. See, we, the foundation was laid, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, continued in Daniel. Daniel saw the end of the matter. But the amplification of the great and terrible fourth beast is in the apocalypse. Daniel reveals to us the view of the origin of this power and the final presentation as a united force that will be destroyed by the Prince of Princes, Michael, or the Stone Power. We think in terms of a power to comprise the approximate territory of Alexander the Great. As Brother Thomas suggests, at a time when it is seen in the Greco-Assyrian and we'll add Babylonian dragon power. And again, here we would suggest you look at the exposition of Daniel, page 80. Uh, I don't want to take the time to read it. We therefore believe that events will shortly occur in Turkey, that's Istanbul, that will move this colossus to a position of standing in both Europe and Asia with its direction pointed toward the Holy Land and Egypt. Remember the will of Peter the Great set forth that the one who controls Constantinople will control the world. And don't be misled. Mr. Gorbachev has read the will of Peter the Great many, many times, and he's got it indelibly impressed upon his mind what he has to do. And as we've looked at today events, events of our time, current events, he's moving in the way that he, with his political mind, and I'm sure it's a very good one, a very capable one, is doing what is, needs to be done to accomplish, accomplish that purpose. Okay, to this point, hopefully we have established the northern king, the little horn of the goat, the king of fierce countenance, the image on its feet, to be the final enemy of natural Israel. Russia in its latter-day appearance. Russia will also be allied with the Roman ecclesiastical power. The days of Charlemagne told of the events when his armies went forth in the name of Christianity and in fact on 
Christmas Day, 1799, Pope Leo crowned Charlemagne Emperor for his assistance in the wars. We also would uh, suggest that Justinian and Focus and Pope Boniface, same event. We don't have time to talk about it. We could see much fierce destruction if Russia and the Muslim world come into religious conflict. We could remember the woe trumpets of Revelation 9, which hopefully we'll get to this morning. The southern antagonists, Moab, Eden, Eden, Edom, Adam, oh boy, Moab, Edom, Ammon, Eden, Tarshish, Sheba, we will only mention that they are the foes of Russia in the time of the overrunning of the land depicted primarily and more elaborately in Ezekiel 38 and Daniel 11. As we turn to the apocalypse, and here we want to make one fast reference. In, in Daniel 12, Daniel was told to seal the book. In John, in chapter 5, verse 5, in chapter 22, verse 10, was told to unseal the book. So impressed was that upon our pioneers that they wrote a book, and it's a tremendous book to read, called The Book Unsealed. So Daniel was told to seal it up till the time of the end. That time of the end was A.D. 96, A.D. 70, however you would like to put it. It was in that time of the first advent when, when our Savior and Lord would reveal to his servants things that must shortly come to pass. So as we turn to the apocalypse, we must recall that we are looking at a period of time to begin in 96 A.D. and continue until the time, until the end of the seventh day or until the end spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15, where it says, Then cometh the end, when Christ shall deliver up the kingdom to God, and God will be all and in all. That's eighth day. The end, what ends is the millennial reign. That transitional period, taking us from the kingdom of men to the kingdom of God. We must remember, too, that the roots of the apocalypse are in Daniel. So the Apocalypse expands or amplifies the fourth beast of Daniel, who in the who in the view in the third century, 312 BC, BC was the Grecian goat or horn, who in 33 BC would become Roman, and in the Roman form destroyed Jerusalem in AD 69 and 70. This nation would convert to Christianity in 312 to 335 A.D., and the pagan form would become papal. This event is told in great detail in, in the 12th chapter of the Apocalypse. That's what we call the birth of the man-child. Also, we want to note that Daniel was told that, that the words were closed and sealed till the time of the end. John was told in 1210 that to seal not the words of the prophet of this book. Revelation 1.1 tells us that Yahweh gave the apocalypse, that is the revelation, to his son, who in turn directed John to write it to his servants for the purpose of showing them things which would begin to come to pass at once. Daniel says in Daniel 12.10, and remember that's one of our key verses, that the wise shall understand and the wicked shall not understand. That we therefore believe that the book was unveiled unsealed when John continued the prophetic word from Patmos in A.D. 96 when he received of the Lord Jesus Christ the sure word of prophecy 
Then begins an unfolding of events that can be identified with the next 2,000, 3,000 years of history. The roots of all these prophecies are in the Old Testament, and hopefully we've established that this week. Behold the trees. The focus ultimately passes to the organization that is primarily responsible for the persecution of the saints, those who are in covenant relationship with deity or with Yahweh. Remember that now. Daniel was, has dealt, and remember, even when you look at Daniel 40, when you talk about the hymns, there is a distinction made between this power that persecuted the Jews with this power, Rome and the papacy, it's better seen here, that persecuted the saints. Again, don't, we don't lose sight of the fact that in final standing, as they do today, they are, they are allied, but they will divide as to attack, they will be destroyed in different battles. That's the purpose in that division, we believe. The Apocalypse is a book of sevens. It's addressed to seven ecclesias, which we all are aware of. But for our purpose, we want to think about seals, trumpets, vials, and thunders. And you think in terms of each one of them being seven, and out of the seventh one always came the next seven. Well, therefore, we had seven seals. Out of the seventh seal came the seven trumpets. Out of the seventh trumpet came the seven vials. And out of the seventh vial will come the seven thunders. We live, and all of us have always lived, in vial six. Vial six began at the time of the French Revolution. It was a great earthquake of, depicted in Revelation 16. Okay, the seals, and there's no way we have time to look at them in any detail, but I would like for you to at least, we need to remember this much about them, that maybe we'll take them compositely because of, of our time, which fleets. The first four are denoted as the horse periods, and it was phases of the Roman Empire in its early days. It was during this time that the ecclesias were also uh, moving toward an apostate condition. The souls under the altar of the fifth seal occurred at the Diocletian persecution of approximately 300. And the great earthquake of 312, which was the sixth seal, I think we all have fully understand to be the birth of Constantine. That was a very significant date and time because, and remember Daniel too had spoken of that. We come to the, we look at the, the trumpets. And we, we divide those between the wind trumpets and the woe trumpets. Now I think maybe we should turn to Revelation 7 and, and we'll, we'll talk for one moment about why the name. You look in 7.1. It says, And after these things I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds 
of the earth that the wind should not blow on the earth nor on the sea nor on any tree so when those four winds began to blow in chapter 8 we have the wind trumpets okay the wind trumpets were early days of I guess we can use the word providence God as he brought the barbaric kings of the that lived in the north region against Rome for the ultimate purpose of destroying uh, the Roman Empire uh, politically as it then existed and, and in fact that did come to pass by the year 476 AD which is again another important period F following that we had the woe trumpets and they are, they are, this, that's an interesting thought because if you look at them in 813 we are told and I heard I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven saying with a loud voice and notice woe 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 to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are about to sound so we have a depiction of three woe trumpets and they would come they would be against eastern Rome and ultimately lead to the fall of Constantinople in 1453 Again, I want you to get the immensity of the time. You know, look at the amount of history and times that we are covering. And we have suddenly, we have moved into the, quote, Christian, apostate Christian era. The first four against West. The second three woes depicted at least two of them. The first two against the Eastern Rome. And if you look at it, and it's very interesting, if you read in verse 12 of chapter 9 and that's after giving after we have witnessed the fifth trumpet it says one woe is past and behold there comes two more woes hereafter so I don't think it's difficult for us to understand what's being said now if you look in 1114 it says the second woe is past and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. And then it immediately says, the seventh angel sounded. So the third woe would begin to sound, and there it, we are, it's the recording of that sounding is to us in Revelation 16, and we have moved ourselves very quickly into the vile period. If you have problems following all of that, uh, take a look at the outline line and follow the scriptures but when we come to 16 we have we begin the vile period which comes out of the seventh trumpet which has been depicted to us as a third woe alright coming to 16 this is the apocalypse in our time it begins with the French Revolution it primarily depicts the Napoleonic Wars. Alright, the French Revolution, the Wars of Napoleon. Purpose, Napoleon was a type of Christ. And again, here's we begin to think of types. He was a, a type of Christ, and if you don't believe this, uh, get, get your history book and read what, what Napoleon did to the Catholic Church. Brother Thomas in Eureka does a beautiful job of portraying how Napoleon 
the thing that always struck me was that Napoleon took all the rulership away from the Catholic Church and gave it to his brethren. And that's what Christ will do. If you have a problem with a, a guy such as Napoleon being a type of Christ, I suggest to you, think in terms of Cyrus. Think in terms of any of those people that we have looked at in mortal states that in a, in a way typified an event that was to come uh, later. And yes, in that sense, I think we can look at Michael in chapter 12 of Daniel as in, in a small measure typif being, being an individual who would subsequently, or would subsequently be typed by what Christ would do. In other words, it's, it's not a foreign idea. And as we've looked at this general subject this week, hopefully you've seen the, the minute detail that's revealed to us and yet the broad picture as to how much we and the believers throughout all ages have been shown in symbol and in types and in conditions and in animals and in birds and in numbers and in dates. And it's an enormous subject that uh, again, we now think of one of our other key verses. It's the glory of God to what? To conceal a thing and the honor of kings to search it out. And that's you and I. If we hope to be kings, we need to learn to search. Okay, we come to the sixth vial, which really takes us to the, and that is the drying up of the river Euphrates. We need to probably take a, a look at it. Uh, it says, The sixth angel poured his vial upon the great river, and the river thereof was dried up, and the way that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And remember Brother Tommy last night, and again, it can be overly emphasized. They are the kings of the sun's risings. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ with the multitude commonly depicted to us as the rainbowed angel which is where we tend to move I think what I'd like to do is Go to the outline under the order of, of things to come. Well, we have 36 events here. Uh, some of them are immediately at our time, and there's a couple of them we might like to just talk about for a moment. Uh, firstly, we begin with the situation in Israel. Israel dwells confidently, though in unbelief of the Messiahship of Jesus. Uh, Ezekiel 38.8 points to that, that condition. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that has been a problem, you know, in, in the thinking of the, of the brotherhood. Let, let me make, I'd like, I guess I'd like to tell a, a, a quick story, and then you be the judge of what constitutes uh, confidence. Uh, and I once, I guess the first time I was ever in Israel, probably 1980, uh, was taken one night to a, 
down in the south to a place called Arad. And there we met with, an, a, the group met with a Israeli general who had maps that would, you know, make this one look kind of paltry. He had maps everywhere uh, of the, of Russia, showing the growth of Russia. And, but when he began to focus on, on problems, he says, you know, we can destroy every Arab nation in 72 hours. So he says, that's not a problem. You know, uh, we look to the West to neutralize Russia. Other than that, we have no problems. Uh, secondly, a, a young lady that many of you know uh, named Ahuva Jacobs, who is the wife of David Jacobs, a guide to many of these people, once in visiting with us in Richmond, uh, and I had shown her quite a bit of the uh, uh, Jewish community in Richmond, and as she and, and they have, you know, like all Jewish communities, they have a lot of wealth and a lot of big synagogues and a lot of whatever they have. And she looked at me, you know, very as any Israeli would look at you with very penetrating and piercing eyes, and she said, "You know, it's all great, but I am free." All right. Thirdly traveling, I guess it was in 81, 82, and um, I, I shake now that I even went there, but as a guest of the Israeli Defense Forces, we rode up into the Becca Valley, uh, uh, riding through southern Lebanon uh, into the Le in Lebanese territory, and we met there a very young tank commander who happened to be in charge of his battalion. This guy was blonde-headed and blue-eyed, and you'd never think of him as being Jewish, maybe Israeli. But anyway, he came out and he explained to us how they destroyed the Syrian tanks. And in the course of the conversation, he says, we knocked out 40 tanks. And somebody said to him, 40 tanks, how many did you lose? And he said, lose? We didn't lose any. We can't afford to lose any. Now, I don't know how you feel, but see, for me, I believe that's confidence. It's confidence almost to the extent of being boastful, arrogant. And I believe that's the attitude that Israel portrays. You know, you may think, well, they have to walk around with guns. Well, you know, guns hung on your shoulder. And, uh, well, let, let, me, let me put it in, in my walk. I always felt much better if I was driving in a car in Israel and I picked up two or three Israeli soldiers who had the guns, had those machine guns with them. It improved my confidence. It improved my line of comfort. Uh, so I think that's the way we have to look at confidence. And they have confidence. But, you know, forgetting what we may think or not think, look at what the Scripture says. The Scripture says that they're going to dwell confidently in their land. And I believe that they do. All right, it's at that, this juncture of time that we have in the outline the statement that Jesus Christ returns to the earth, the resurrection of the whole house of, uh, household of deity, just and unjust, the judgment seat of Christ in the Sinai region, and the rewards and rejections commence. Now, I think we all understand that, and we all understand the trembling with which we approach that great day of judgment. And it, I guess it behooves us above all else 
to prepare ourselves for that day and be ready. Okay, Russia. At, at said juncture, Russia, has defeat, having defeated most of Europe, takes Turkey, including Constantinople. Russia becomes a civil and military power and ecclesiastical overlord of both East and West, as typified by the Roman Emperor Justinian. You could, you could also consider Focus and Charlemagne. Russia invades the glorious land, subjecting the Persian realm from Ethiopia to India, and driving her antagonists, Tarsus, that is Britain, the U.S., and allies, to the land of southern Moab, Edom, and Ammon, where they escape the onslaught. Tarsus, antagonist of Gog, become the protectorate of Jewish outcasts who have fled into southern Edom, Moab, and Ammon to escape the Russian advance. Russia invades Egypt, enslaving the Jews who have sought refuge there. Tidings out of the east and north incite Russia to move north into Egypt, into Israel, and besiege Jerusalem. Russia triumphant, the great Assyrian, the great Assyrio-Babylonian image of Nebuchadnezzar stands in full confederated manifestation. There is the final, and you can visualize what has to happen and what not will happen. Remember again a key verse from our Lord, Matthew 24:35, heaven and earth, help me, shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. It's sure and firm. And we have it that, remember, we've, the judgment has occurred. We have in point 13, the multitudinous Christ commences her militant campaign. We have Elijah's work of restoration of all Israel commencing. Remember, I sh he shall save the tents of Judah first, and Judah shall be, by my, be his battle axe. And remember Hosea 11, 13, 11 12, that while, Samer while Ephraim is still estranged, Judah is faithful and reigns with the saints. And with that, I think it was Brother Clark pointed out to me yesterday, and it couldn't be true, read in Hosea 6, 7, 8. 9, 10, and 11, if you should. All right, the southern Arabs, house of Esau, are subjected to the multitudinous Christ and the Abrahamic southern grant from the Mediterranean to the Gulf of Persia is annexed. The multitudinous Christ enters Egypt, destroying the Russian occupying forces and freeing Jewish captives. Remember, we looked at that yesterday in Isaiah. Very beautifully done by the prophet Isaiah. 19th chapter. Leaving Egypt, the multitudinous Christ leads the Jews as a trembling bird over the tongue of the Egyptian sea, after Moses' example. The fronts of the Russian forces are encountered at Basra and are destroyed. From Basra, Christ and the saints advance to the plains of Moab, swing around the Dead Sea, cross the Jordan River into the plains of Jericho, this in accordance with Joshua's crossing of the river after Moses' death. By the way, all the proofs are, in, are inserted. I'm not reading them, and we're not looking at them only because of time. You do that in your leisure, please. Twenty from the Valley of Achor near Jericho, the march moves westward toward Jerusalem, where Christ will stand upon the Mount of Olives, which will cleave in the midst. That's the great Olivet earthquake of Zechariah 14:5. Very important. Now remember, we've talked about a great earthquake. We've talked about two or three great earthquakes. Constantine was a great earthquake. The French Revolution was a great earthquake. The Olivet Prophecy is a great earthquake. 
And don't confuse your earthquakes. There the multitudinous Christ defeats the amassed Russian confederates in the Valley of Judgment, style Armageddon. The site is between the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem on the east, and Mount Moriah, and through which flows the Kidron. The feet of the Assyrio-Babylonian image are smitten, and the image commences to crumble. Christ and the saints approach the city gates of Jerusalem from the gateway of the east, and Christ makes himself known to his kinsmen. The Davidic throne is established in Jerusalem, number 23. Remember, he reigned seven years in Hebron, that's in the south. At this moment, the 33 years typified commence. Seven months are allotted to bring the, the dead after this great conflict. Judah, now freed from Russian domination, constitutes God's battle axe. Under the direction of the Christ body, they invade the land of Assyria. The dominion of Daniel's first three beasts is taken away. The northern Abrahamic grant is conquered all the way to the river Euphrates. The Lamb stands victorious upon Mount Zion and proclaims the mid-heaven mid gospel. That's Revelation 14.1, and it's the most beautiful thing that you could possibly read. Guess what? The western beast nations and the false prophet of Rome reject the ultimatum. And this is the time of the Antichrist. And they, they say, look, you know, we told you 300 years ago that this one was going to appear, this Jew in Jerusalem. Let's go get him. Judgments and war ensue upon the false prophet of Rome and the western beast nations. The broken image becomes as a shaft. The second exodus of all Israel is completed. And we think of that principally in Revelation 18.4, which you should add to your outline. All Israel is purged of rebels, established in the bond of the covenant. That's number 30. In 31, the nations are made subject to Zion's king. The house of prayer of all nations is a, and universal rule of the millennium begins in number 33. Christ and the saints rule with a rod of iron, teaching and converting their receptive mortals. And, I, and you can't overlook the work that is to be accomplished in the teaching of the nations. It's an enormous job. Granted, the Lord could instantly make them all learn. Christ said it to those of his day, that God could raise up seed of these stones to the children of Abraham. But the Lord doesn't do it. He requires a couple of things. We've, we've dealt with one of them this week. Searching the, for the concealed. Right? He also requires that we develop characters like Him. And without that, we won't be a part of that immortal group. We have at the end of the millennium, and I think this is important, it is a part of our statement of faith. In fact, I had it, I was going to read it, but I don't have it, so I can't read it. But we, there is to be a resurrection and judgment. There's no such thing as blending into immortality and you go and become a citizen of Zion like you become a citizen of the United States. At the end of the thousand years, there will be a resurrection of those who have lived and died during the thousand years, an immortalization of those who are deemed worthy, and a casting off of those who are deemed unworthy. And we come to eighth day. The eighth day, new heavens and a new earth. The deity all in and all. 
The earth filled with the glory of the Lord to the total exclusion of mortal flesh and blood. I'll tell you what I'd like to conclude. And, and don't get excited because it's not a, a short conclusion. Uh, I want to look at the Psalms. And I want to begin at Psalm 108. Now, what we have just gone through can, can expand your mind beyond our wildest dreams. I want to look at Psalm 108, 24, 97, and 98. These Psalms depict the song of the angel of the bow, the angel, the rainbowed angel. The first Psalm 108 we believe to be at the moment of immortalization. 20, Psalm 24 will take us to the appearance of the King of Glory at Jerusalem. You, you remember the events. And then 97 and 98 to the time when submission by the nations for the millennial period. But it's very beautiful, and I, I don't want to comment as I read. I want you to think about it. And remember this first one, the, the rainbow angel is in the south. They've, they've just been formed. I think in our outline, that's the time of just prior to the time of number 13. Haven't started out yet, but contemplating. And it's the same time that we have depicted in the apocalypse. Oh God, my heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing praises unto thee among the nations. For thy mercy is great above the heavens, and thy truth reacheth unto the clouds. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens, and thy glory above all the earth, that thy beloved may be delivered. Save with thy right hand and answer me. God has spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Succoth. Gilead is mine. Manasseh is mine. Ephraim also is the strength of my head. Judah is my lawgiver. Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast my shoe. Over Philistia will I triumph. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Wilt not thou, O Lord, who hath cast us off? And will not thou, O God, go forth with our hosts? Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Though God, through God we do valiantly, for it is he that shall tread down our enemies. Now I want you to think in terms, this is the time of the 153 great fish and the 318 servants of Abraham who were trained servants born in his house at a time of immortalization and to move forward. We come to Psalm 24 and they, they move to Zion to the city of the great king. We'll just begin at verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, 
Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. That is the rainbow angel. He is now perform the work that we talked about between Sinai and Jerusalem and he is now entering the city very beautifully depicted by the psalmist as the walk so let's turn to Psalm 97 this is the new song this is the song the great white throne has now been established the throne that will reign for a thousand years as an as with, as a rod of iron, which is the 149th, which we don't want to read, but we don't have time to read. But look at these psalms. We'll read them together. And think of the beauty of all nations having been taught and having submitted to the reign of the Christ and the saints on the great white throne. The Lord reigneth. Let the earth rejoice. Let the multitude of isles be glad thereof. Clouds and darkness are round about him. Righteousness and judgment are the habitation of his throne. A fire goeth forth before him and burneth up his enemies round about. His lightnings enlightened the world. The earth saw and trembled. The hills melted with wax at the presence of the Lord. At the presence of the Lord of the whole earth. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Confounded be all they that serve graven images, that boast themselves of idols. Worship him, all ye gods. Zion heard and was glad. And the daughters of Judah rejoiced because of thy judgments, O Lord. For thou, Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted above all the gods. Ye that love the Lord hate evil. He preserveth the soul of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. Light is sown for the righteous and gladness for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, ye righteous, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. O sing unto the Lord a new song, for he hath done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he op openly showed in the sight of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. All the earth, all the ends of the earth, have seen the salvation of our God. And think about it. They will have seen it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord all the earth. Make a loud noise, noise and rejoice and sing praise. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the world and they that dwell therein. Let the floods clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord. For he cometh to rule the earth. With righteousness shall he rule the world and the people with equity.